Have you ever wondered if the things you do in secret, those secret sins, if you will, that you know are wrong, really affect others? Does it really make that big of a difference to those around us? What they don't know won't hurt them, right? We see, this is what we'll be looking at today. But before we jump into the text, let's define what we mean by sin. I think it's very important. Sin is any word, thought, or action that goes against God's standard as found in the Holy Scriptures. We are by nature born sinners. That means we don't need anyone to tell us how to sin. It actually comes naturally. For those of us who are adults, when we were disobeying our parents or doing what was wrong uh, or taking something that wasn't really ours, we didn't have to have our parents teach us to lie and blaming it on our siblings or even denying the action ever occurred. It just came naturally. So it is in our lives. As we grow older, we become numb to certain personal sins because we believe it's just natural. Everyone does them. Well, they've lied to me. Other guys struggle with this problem as well. Other ladies deal with this as well. And the excuses pile up in our head to where we no longer realize we sin by ultimately lying to ourselves. You see, one of the most dangerous places for all of us to be is in a state of self-deception regarding personal sin. Because if you think about it, we don't even realize the reality of the situation. And if you do understand where we're constantly falling into sin, we actually deceive ourselves into thinking that this really won't affect those around me. This is, how can I put this, a personal issue uh, that I need to deal with. Well, you see, we'll be looking at some of the consequences of this way of thinking. Because this way of thinking has real devastating consequences to those around us. The secret sin can devastate a whole nation. It is not only limited to the person committing the sin. As we jump into the context here in Joshua 7, we see a nation who has just had a major victory in Jericho, where the thick walls that fortified the city collapsed, and they were able to overtake in relative ease after marching around the city for seven days. It's because of this incredible victory that the assumption was made that there would also be an easy victory following thereafter. You see, today, we're going to be looking specifically at what happens, what happens when we fall after victory. We're going to be looking at four specific points. Number one, the nation's defeat. Number two, the leader's frustration. Number three, the family's devastation. And number four, the nation's victory. So let's start off in the first point here, the nation's defeat, looking at verses one through five. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is besides Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabirim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So... Maybe there's something in common that we have with the nation of Israel here. 
we see clearly that the problem with the nation of Israel was an, an overconfidence in their capabilities based on the recent victory over Jericho. Look at what the report back to Joshua is after they spied out the city. Do not worry all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. You'd think this confidence after victory was a good thing, except not. In this case, there's something the spies didn't see. The secret sin from the victory in the last battle that kept them from victory in this battle. You see, there's a tendency to be confident when we've walked with God and seen victory over sin in our lives. And in that confidence, we can have a pride buildup that gives us a false security that we will get the same result the next time. Has that ever happened to you? After all, I've just battled something more difficult and won. What we don't realize is the pride in our past victory may be the very downfall in our next defeat. The pride in our past victory may be the very downfall in our next defeat. You see, if you and I have ever paid attention, we've seen some of the biggest failures in our walk with God shortly after a big spiritual victory in battling sin when we successfully resisted giving in to temptation. You remember the excitement. I really walked close to God today. Nothing can stop me now. Well, what happened the next day? Ever happened to you? Probably pride and overconfidence in your abilities that you somehow thought was you relying on God and his strength when in actuality you actually were not prepared and your self-deception led you to a big loss the next day where you just wanted to quit after you gave in to sin. You see, look at the reaction here in verse number five. After the men of Ai killed 36 men of Israel, it says the hearts of the people melted and became like water. They lost their courage. They were no longer feeling tough. They failed. You can just imagine the thoughts, thoughts they must have had. How do we lose to an easier opponent? Jericho is a lot more difficult than this little city to deal with. How did we even lose? You see, we do the very same thing after a victory over sin. We have a courage that nothing can stop us. But after a defeat, we start asking, how did that even happen? I thought I was ready. I was reading the word that day. I even prayed that morning. I even liked a spiritual post on Facebook. How could anything go wrong? Now hear me out when I say this. You can do all these things. You can read your Bible. You can pray. You can read a good devotional article and have pride separating you from relying on God's strength by actually relying on yourself because you did something. So here's a question. How can we tell when we may be relying on our own strength? A couple pointers. Number one, you and I read the Bible to say we've read the Bible. It's almost pharisaical. Not to actually hear from God. We just want to tell everybody we actually read the Bible that day. We really didn't read for the right reasons. Number two, you and I pray only for what we want rather than desiring to speak to our Heavenly Father and wanting Him. There is a difference. You ever seen spoiled children? <laughs> you and I live our day making much of ourselves while pretending to be making much of God. Now see, here's the tricky part with this one. This one is very hard to pick up on sometimes because it's very easy to think we really want to make much of him, but we're actually spoiled children wanting what we want. Is that not the case sometimes? So to pull this out into the proper context for a church or a nation, we may go into physical, emotional, and even spiritual battles thinking victory is guaranteed, but finding ourselves looking for answers 
after we fail to execute the mission God's way. You see, pride will destroy any church or nation which relies on its own strength instead of God and his word. Many churches in America have an impression of being alive, but they may very well hear the warning from Christ to the church of Sardis. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You see, this is not a small thing to be concerned with. As one pastor put it, a Chinese Christian who came over to America, when he looked at the things that were done in the worship service, he just stepped back and said, it's amazing. All that is accomplished in American churches without the Holy Spirit. You see, the secret sin that we're not aware of in our churches and our nation has devastating consequences on the whole, even if it's only a few that are participating. Please be aware of that. You see, secret sin doesn't just have an effect on the congregation or the nation or the church. It has an effect on the leadership. In fact, the second point we're going to look at today is the leader's frustration. The leader's frustration, starting verses number six through nine. It says this, it says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? All that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? You see, when there's a nationwide crisis, as we see here, it affects everyone, but it can especially lead to frustration to those in leadership. Joshua here is stunned by this loss and broken, falls to the ground, not understanding how something like this could have even happened. He brings his frustration to God and asks what seems to be a similar complaint to the, na the nation brought to Moses when they were chased by the Egyptians. Remember, even when their water and food ran out, they complained a very similar way. The difference here, though, is Joshua doesn't ask why didn't God leave them to go back to Egypt, but rather readjust the statement to the other side of the Jordan. Almost to say, God, if you were going to, you know, we were going to run away from such a small city, why do we even come here? This is an embarrassment to, for our nation. And other nations will just finish us off after hearing about this pathetic loss. God, what will you do to keep your name from being dishonored? In fact, look what's interesting here. Look at the response that God actually gives him in verses 10 through 12. It says this. It says, So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things and, that, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Wow. What a statement. What a statement. You see, God tells Joshua, get up and realize why it is that they lost an AI and that they need to get rid of the sin, and in this case, actually the sinner, or else his presence would not be with them. Some things we can draw from this text when it comes to leadership. A few pointers that I think would be important for us to pull out here. Number one, leaders can and do get frustrated when things are not going well. Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth. That happens. 
that happens. Number two, leaders want to know the why behind the defeat or failure. Lord God, why have you brought us this people over the Jordan at all? A leader may not know the reason for the failure at first, though. That's a possibility. You see, number three, leaders can tend to think selfishly before asking for the proper help. Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? And number four, leaders don't hesitate to act right after they're given a task. Joshua shares the frustration with God. He's told to get up and deal with the sin in the, in the camp. And it says, so Joshua rose early in the morning. There was no hesitation. As soon as he could get to the bottom of this, he would do so. And lastly, when it comes to leadership, leaders follow through in solving the problem. Joshua does not just get up to get going. He makes sure that he solves his problem and gets to the bottom of it by narrowing it down to the person responsible. And he even tells them to own their own sin. It says in verse 19, Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Now, I want to stop here for a moment and say something that I think has become more frequent in preaching today. Leaders not calling out sin and especially allowing sin to fester in the context of their local church or their nation. So here's an encouragement. If you're a leader in the church, if you're a pastor, it is your responsibility to call out sin in your congregation. You and I are doing a major disservice to our people if we do not hold those in leadership and our people to the standard of God's word. A good leader like Joshua gets to the root of the problem. He does not just ignore it or leave it to somebody else to deal with. They don't hesitate. They act and they follow through. Many problems in the church that leaders start to deal with do not end up getting solved, causing even more heartache and frustration. You see, question I've asked myself, maybe the reason we're not seeing blessing in our church and in our nation is because we're not dealing with the sin in the church. It seems like during our current situation, everyone wants to save the world, but no one wants to share the blame. Church, it's on us and the sin in our midst that we need to start with. And stop pointing the finger at the world without checking our own heart first. The gospel still applies to you just as much as it applies to them. You still need Christ today just as you did when you first came to faith and rejected your righteousness for his. Leaders, we may not always get it right at first. The, the reason may be that we have a lack of blessing in our churches. But maybe, just maybe, if we came to God and actually asked him to reveal that sin that lies within, we could see better days ahead. The next thing we're going to look at is not something pleasant, but it's a reality. Our secret sin does affect our family. Point number three, the family's devastation. Look at verse number 20. It says, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. So Joshua sent the messengers, and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, 
the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. I want you to see the devastation here to Achan and his immediate family. You see, Achan actually owns his sin here. He says, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. Now, you and I, we can argue that he only did so because he was caught, but he did own it nonetheless. It's important to note, though, that though Achan had said he sinned, he did not call it a mistake. You see, when you think of a mistake, you and I tend to think along the lines of an accident, right? Like, oops, I made a mistake on my homework. If you're, you know, working on homework for, for a college class or when you were in high school. Or, wait, I didn't see that sign. I just blew by. That's actually 55 miles an hour instead of the 65 that I saw earlier. That's more of a mistake. This is different. This is a rebellion and a clear disobedience of God's word. You see, one of the big problems that we have is we excuse ourselves for being human and making mistakes we at times lose the gravity of what it is we've actually done. We tend to find comfort in knowing others make mistakes instead of seeing it as it is, rebellion against God. You see, we rarely make mistakes in not knowing what it is that we've done against God and even his word. We outright do what we want instead, like Achan does here, and rebel. I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. All deliberate acts of rebellion. They're very similar acts that David committed when he sinned with Bathsheba. By the way, he also owned it as sin and not merely a mistake. You see, words matter. Is it any surprise that Scripture says that we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? Just some food for thought. You see, just because Achan confessed his sin after he was confronted does not mean that there were not consequences. In fact, as we see here in the text, this is it for him and his family. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Wow. You're probably thinking, seems like a harsh punishment here on the surface. But it would be like the equivalent of you and I betraying our country in order to enrich ourselves with the enemy's treasures. The series of choices Achan and his family made, it's implied, by, by the way, that they were all in on this, had devastating consequences. You see, once sin has been dealt with, there will and can be better days, as we will see here, for the nation of Israel. And the last point we're going to look at, the nation's victory. Point number four, starting the last part of verse 26. Look at this. It says, The Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Hmm. So the nation can still have victory. The nation can still have victory. You see, what we have here are incredible words of encouragement after dealing with sin. The Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. And what does he tell them? Do not be afraid or dismayed. I have given into your hand the king of Ai. 
the nation of Israel will once again, was once again promised victory as they had in Jericho. So in closing, I want to ask you something specifically. I want to tell you that God is for you, Christian believer, disciple of Jesus. But I don't want to give you false hope either. You see, because just as in the nation of Israel, so it is today. We are in a battle. And there's a battle that we both have in common, actually. Secret sin. The difference here is not that we're going in to conquer a literal land for the kingdom, but ultimately that we have secret sin in our hearts to deal with. We're here to share the gospel message with others, how that Jesus saves from sin, and he saved us. But the trouble is we don't have any urgency to share with others, maybe simply because we know there's stuff inside we haven't been willing to deal with. There's some secret sin. Oh, you know, and I know, it's not a mistake. If we're to be honest with ourselves, we know where it is we've messed up and outright disobeyed God. But here's some great news. The benefit we have today is that it's not too late to own that sin and be restored in our relationship with God. I mean, don't you want a clean heart? Don't you want to share what it is that God has done in your life? You see, it'll be difficult to share the gospel if the gospel has not affected our heart in causing us to deal with that secret sin. May our prayer be very similar to that of David's in Psalm 51. Listen to these words. Just great text of scripture. It'd be very good and beneficial for us to memorize. He says this in verse number 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit or a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. But what's interesting is David doesn't stop there. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. And then he finishes with this amazing statement. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. So, as we close, one question to ask. One question to ask. What secret sin is keeping you from victory? What secret sin is keeping you from victory? Now look, you may look victorious to those around you, but inside you know the truth. If you're not sure, be daring to ask God, who knows you better than you know you. I promise he wants us to have victory, and he will cheer us on if we start by dealing with secret sin that we've maybe grown numb to and hidden. So, if you're somebody that's listened to this whole message and found some good points on leadership uh, and how your life affects those around you, but you just never really understood the gospel message, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to stop ignoring the reality. Life is very fragile, and it's short, but eternity is very long. Stop trusting yourself, the failure, and start trusting the Savior. Jesus came so that you may have an abundant life, but he wants you to start by being honest with yourself about your sin and place your faith. That means you believe what he did actually matters because you sinned. It does not have to be a long prayer. It can be a simple prayer asking God to forgive you for your sin and trusting what Jesus did on your behalf. Now, if you have trusted Christ, you are called to be a disciple of Jesus. We're all called to be disciples of Jesus. For more information on this, please visit our webpage and click on the tab Discipleship under What We Believe for more information. There you'll find a link to the Bible reading program that we're going through, and you can jump right in with us this next week. We thank you so much for joining us. Should you be encouraged by this message, please share this with someone else. And thank you so much for joining us in the Word.